uh, in the bump video. Um, welcome to all of you who are new. My name is Manoj. Uh, we've been in a series that we started about four weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, one of our foundational texts within the, the, the Christian um, religion, uh, our ecosystem, if you will. Uh, it's, it's one of these foundational teachings. We, we started off taking a look at uh, who God is. Uh, Galen preached about God being um, the one that we worship. Pastor Scott talked about um, the fact that we're not to make idols and then that we don't keep the Lord's name in vain. And today, we're going to talk about this word Sabbath, uh, the fourth commandment that, that God gave to the nation of Israel. I thought what I would do is before we jump into the text, I wanted to lay a little bit of, um, a little bit of groundwork on um, why do we need Sabbath? Um, maybe for some of you it's obvious why you need to, a time to rest and a time to stop things. Uh, for some of us that may, be, may not be as obvious uh, because uh, we're, our tendency is to work, work, work and go for it. Um, but the Bible has this fourth commandment and we're going to take a look at that. Um, Rachel, if you could go to the next slide. One of the things I wanted to start off with is um, after, after World War II, the big thing in the U.S. Um, in, in geopolitics was sort of democracy versus communism across the world. Um, as communism fell in 2000, sorry, in 1989 or so, uh, the Iron Curtain fell, this terminology was created, it's called VUCA, um, was created by the, um, the U.S. Um, armed forces, specifically the Army, strategists that were at West Point, thinking about what is geopolitics going to look like over the next set of decades. They talked about volatility. Volatility has to do with rapid change that causes instability. And so from a military perspective, they were looking at the fact that the way that they would have to conduct wars, the way that enemies would threaten the United States would be in many times things that would be volatile, things that we could not control control or predict. And what happened across Europe, at least, is a lot of the business leaders took this terminology and started applying it to the way that they looked at the world. Uncertainty is the inability to predict the impact of an event or an outcome. We went through some of this over the last few years. Complexity is when you have numerous interconnected factors which interact in unpredictable ways. If you remember back last year, uh, May of 2001, 2021, um, remember that boat that was stuck in the Suez Canal and the chaos that it created, not just on the Western world, across the world, right? It created chaos that wasn't, that wasn't solved. Um, I, some would say it's still probably not solved now because of the supply chain issues we've got, but definitely for six months or so, there were massive supply chain issues because of the complexity of one act or one situation that affected geopolitical. Ambiguity is when you are unclear to predict an event, interpret an event, or when the meaning or information is unexplainable. We all saw this. We lived this during the pandemic. We had different voices coming from various different sources, whether they were healthcare, politicians, um, the community at large, lots of different voices, and there was ambiguity. We didn't know exactly what to do. Do I put on a mask? Do I not put on a mask? Do I come in? Do I not come in? Do I, am I threatened by people? Am I not threatened by people? So continuous change is the norm. This world that we live in now is filled with volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Uh, and as a culture, we probably used to say, you know, our world is very different than the one that our grandparents lived in. 
nowadays, it's more like our world is very different than last Tuesday. The world is changing so much. And in the area of technology, which we'll touch on in, in a second here, technology is changing at such a rapid pace that it's difficult for us to keep up with the rate of change. And that's one of the characteristics of volatility is not just that there's change, but that the rate of change is so fast that our minds, which are traditionally linear, it's very difficult for us to comprehend things that happen at exponential growth. So continuous change is now the norm. Everything changes and are faster than faster than our ability to process it. And I, as I said, the, the reason is primarily because our brains are wired to think linearly. And when things happen at a nonlinear rate, it's very difficult for us to comprehend. If you go to the next slide, we live in a, uh, it's probably hard to see some of the words there. We live in a, an interconnected world um, this blew me away as I was looking at, at, at a report that I saw. Uh, again, I'm a geek on the technology side, but every minute of the day, these are some of the statistics. I'm not going to read through them. Hopefully you can see some of them, but 12 million iPhone messages a minute, 44 million po pictures posted on Facebook a minute, um, 65,000 on Instagram, Twitter, a half, a mil half a billion, um, half a million um, Twitter responses every minute. 65% of the world is now connected to the internet and the biggest areas of internet growth are going to be mostly in Southeast Asia, Africa, and South America. We're inundated, whether we like it or not, we're inundated with information day in and day out. Current projections are that by in the next decade, 80% of the world's population, which is almost at 8 billion now, 80% of the world's population will be connected. So that's what's happening on the outside. If you go to the next slide, what's happening on the inside? John Mark Homer is a, a pastor out in, um, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in it he says this, desire is infinite. It's never satisfied and our bodies are finite. So we live with a restlessness, a chronic state of unsatisfied desire. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1.8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor is the ear filled with hearing. Human desire is infinite because we were made to live in eternity. St. Augustine, who was a, um, an early church father from northern Africa, said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Jesus would say that the way to manage insatiable desire is to put desire in its rightful place, on God, and then we put all other desires below it which goes back to what Jalen preached about a few weeks ago. He reminded us that God is our supreme authority. When our innate human restlessness, this is a quote from, from John Mark Homer, when our innate rest, human restlessness collides with the digital age and a culture of accomplishment and accumulation, the result is an epidemic of emotional unhealth and spiritual death. You, how many of you are now depressed, <laughs> saddened, anxious? This is a public service announcement from the American Psychological Association. Um, if you go to the next slide, th the numbers are there to support this. Uh, the APA, the American Psychological Association, for the, since 2007 has done studies on an annual test to test at a U.S. population level what's the average stress level. I don't know what's go, what was going on in 2000 and 2008, but um, obviously stress levels were high. Uh, part of it could have been that the questions that they were asking were not yet 
um, you know, normalized for the general population. But as you take a look at the various generations there, stress levels are at an all-time high. In 2020, the APA issued a press release stating that the U.S. was in the midst of a mental health crisis due to the stress levels during and coming out of the pandemic. In the October 2021 survey, about a year ago, uh, the next survey is supposed to be coming out this, uh, hopefully within the next month or so, 87%, so that's almost 9 out of 10 people in the U.S. are stressed out about the rise in consumer prices, inflation. 80% supply chain issues, the fact that you can't get anything um, at the timelines that you expect them to. And we've been a recipient of that. Our dryer hasn't been working for two weeks, and we're waiting for parts to show up. 81% um, are concerned about global uncertainty. And this was pre, um, before the Ukraine war. When we looked at parents, uh, when they looked at parents, the overwhelming um, number of parents reported concerns relating, related to childhood development. 73%, so that's almost three out of four parents are concerned about their social life or development of their children. 70% about their academic performance and development. And 70% concerned about emotional health. The CDC in 2016 declared that sleep disorders are a public health epidemic in the United States. Can we relate to this? This is the world that we live in. In the workforce, you're being asked to do more with less. Less time, less resources, less budget, less staff, less clarity. Go to the next slide, if you would. Perhaps this is what it feels like for some of us, for some of you here. Um, overworked, overstressed out, carrying the world on your shoulders. What's the answer to this that we see within culture? Culture says look inside at your own feelings to find the answer. Perhaps you do yoga or meditation to calm your mind. It's your perspective and your attitude, so focus on mindf mindfulness and gratitude. Or perhaps spend some more extra time on TikTok to just distract yourself. Exercise, uh, bulletproof coffee. We've got all kinds of things to, to try and address the reality of the world that we live in. And it's within this context, within this world, as we look at these Ten Commandments, we come to the Fourth Commandment, which says, if you go to the next slide, the Fourth Commandment from Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you'll show labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days God, the Lord, made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So as we look, I'm going to take a little bit of time to take a look at this commandment, dissect it a little bit, and then we'll talk about four practices that we can put into place to try and go against the world that I just described that we all live in. First of all, this is one of the first of the do commandments. There, out of the Ten Commandments, there are two commandments that are focused on doing something. Most of them are focused on don't doing something. Um, this is focused on do, right? Uh, honor the Sabbath, and the second one that we'll talk about next week is honor your father and mother, which is the second do commandment. Everything else are don't commandments. Three commandments are about God. Six commandments are about relationships that we'll study over the next set of weeks. This is the one commandment in between those 
sets that focus on time, what we do with our time. It's the longest commandment. Almost one-third of the words of all the Ten Commandments are composed in this commandment. Pastor Scott spoke last week about the name of God on the people and what that meant. The weekly Sabbath defined the identity of the people of Israel and in their actions among the nations. Most of the other nations viewed the gods as those who needed to be served and appeased 24 by 7, 365. So to take a day of rest would have been unthinkable for the nations that were around there. The idea of just one God and not doing any work for a full day was probably one of the most countercultural rhythms for a society that was focused on farming and raising livestock. Maybe this is why God provides such a detailed explanation. We're going to go through the various parts of the commandment, but first notice the why. You know, Simon Sinek is probably one of the most watched TED Talks out there. talks about start with why, based on his book. You start with why, then you focus on what, and then you focus on how. God covers all of these. If you go to the next slide, Rachel, this is the why. The first Sabbath was instituted by God. This is on page one of your Bibles, maybe on page two. Um, as, as the creation story unfolds, it says, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh, seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy because God rested from it from all his work that he had done in creation. This is a modeled commandment meaning that God demonstrates it from the beginning of creation. Well before the Ten Commandments were given to Moses and the Israelites, God is the one who took the first Sabbath. God created order, and his created order has a certain rhythm. The sun governs the day and night rhythms. Our body uh, circadian systems and rhythms are tuned to this. The sun governs the yearly rhythms. In the U.S., we predominantly have four seasons. In, in many parts of the world, you have hot, hotter, and you've got monsoon season. Uh, the moon governs the ebb and flow of the oceans and the tides. If you're a sailor, that's what it sounds like when there's a thunderstorm <laughs> on the seas. That was not planned. And if you're a sailor, you probably understand that if you don't understand the tides, you can be shipwrecked. Why does God create a weekly rhythm? Because in the created order, there's no need for a weekly rhythm. Why does God create it? It's because... He wanted to delight in his creation, nothing less. Uh, the next slide, Edmund Clowney is one of the resources that, that we have as part of this teaching series. Um, in his book, How Jesus Transforms the Ten Commandments, says this, God did not rest to recover from exhaustion, nor is his rest defined simply as an absence of work. His rest carries with it the sense of a positive, active appreciation and satisfaction in his finished creative work. In his rest, God is reveling in the goodness of his creation, and especially in the goodness of fellowship with those that he created in his own image. The Sabbath marks the fact that God delights in the presence of his people. God didn't need to rest. It wasn't like he was exhausted. He rested because he wanted to take time with the creation that he had created. If you go to the next slide, um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this because as I was looking through a number of the commentaries, um, at least for us Christians, there seems to be this debate. Uh, there's, we can, on one side, be very legalistic, and on the other side, we can say, you know, the Sabbath is kind of irrelevant. On the legalistic side, 
uh, the Jewish nation had a specific 24-hour period where they were to observe the Sabbath, from sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday evening. And they would culminate their time of Sabbath worshiping at the temple. There was a penalty of death. I won't read it, but in Exodus 20, uh, 31, verses 12 to uh, 17, in there it says, Everyone, anyone who profanes the Sabbath shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Can you imagine living in that environment? And when Jesus comes on the scene, he understands that these people are living in bondage. They're living in, in, in oppression to these laws that they just can't hold up to many times. Um, in Leviticus, Leviticus 23, uh, it talks about the, the, the Israeli calendar, the calendar of uh, their celebrations. The Sabbath is the first and foremost rhythm that is laid out there. On the other side of the extreme, we can say that the Sabbath is irrelevant. Well, Jesus healed on the Sabbath multiple times. In every one of his Gospels that are recorded, we see Jesus healing on the Sabbath. He kept the Sabbath, but many times he healed. And we can say that we're under grace. We're not under the law. We're not subject to the Sabbath. The Apostle Paul, one of the early apostles, um, primarily sent out to those who were non-Jews, says, um, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul's making the argument that various religious activities don't save you. Only Jesus does. And so that these religious activities are, aren't necessarily necessary in, in many of these areas. Keeping the Sabbath is not a basis of our salvation. So it's not that it's irrelevant. It's not a basis of our salvation. So what do we do? Is the Sabbath, is this fourth commandment relevant for us living in the 21st century in a world that's digitized, in a world that's uh, driven by volatility and consumerism and complexity? We think so. I use the word spiritual formation practice is something that we as believers should consider as we think about this concept of the Sabbath, this fourth commandment. Spiritual discipline is another word. It's much like doing your daily office, praying, Bible reading, fasting, giving, spending time in solitude and silence. All of these are discipline. In the same way the Sabbath is a discipline or it's a practice. Hebrews 12.11 says that all discipline is formative, means that it forms something in us. Hebrews says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I use the word practice here. These are activities. Sabbath practices are activities, things that you do or don't do. They're not attitudes. They're not character qualities. They're not fruits of the Spirit. These Sabbath practices have been modeled by Christians for many, many generations before us. Jesus himself followed the Sabbath. The Jewish nation before that for thousands of years followed the Sabbath. And God himself, as I mentioned earlier, initiated the Sabbath. He's the one that started resting. These are a means. They're not an end. Practicing the, practicing the Sabbath doesn't get you salvation. It doesn't get you into heaven to say that you checked off all these things that I did or didn't do. However, if you organize your life around the rhythm of Sabbath, you don't suddenly become holy and accepted by God. No, you practice these rhythms so that you learn to align to the rhythm of work and rest that God himself models. 
Jesus treated the Sabbath as a blessing, not as a burden, even when he healed people on the Sabbath. So what's the summary here? The Sabbath is not a requirement, but it's rather a gift to our souls. So we're going to go over four principles, four practices that we can do as we think about this word Sabbath. The first is stop. Rachel, if you go to the next slide. Um, the, the literal meaning of the word Shabbat, I'm not a, a Jewish um, a Hebrew theologian, but apparently those three characters represent Shabbat. I put that there for Risa because she loves languages and um, she could probably read that. So th the word Shabbat means to cease, stop. Stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. Peter Lightheart in his book, The Ten Commandments, says, work is good. Human dominion over the world is good, but God requires that we interrupt our work to acknowledge him as Lord, as a public confession that our authority over creation is a derived authority. Sabbath, this act of stopping, pauses life's noise. It's the silence that tunes our ears to God's word. Sabbath is meant to reject the powers of this world which say that you are what you produce. Your value is what you can produce. God says, no, that's, that's absolutely not true. You have intrinsic worth whether you produce something or not. And the Sabbath reminds us of that, the ability to stop and say, I don't need to produce today. I can just rest in the fact that God is God. I am a creation, and I can rest in just in that reality. If you're like me, uh, from an Eastern cultural background, uh, you know, we're ingrained within our honor-shame cultures to think that performance is what brings you honor. It, it's what brings you um, honor to your family or to your community. And, and many times what this can create is a, is a performance-related culture where I'm defined, my identity is defined in what I get done. And I just want to remind us all, not to say that those cultures are wrong or right, it's to acknowledge the fact that we are not what we produce, regardless of what our um, ancestors before us have may have told us, may have told us, um, we are not just what we produce. And the Sabbath reminds us that we have to take time to pause. Pete Scazzaro, who we use his materials in emotionally healthy spirituality and in our emotionally healthy uh, relationships course says that Jesus may be in your heart, but grandma is in your bones, meaning that it's very difficult to take out traditions that we've grown up with, with attitudes and perspectives that we've grown up with. We've got to get Jesus more and more into our bones. Our families of origin dictate so much of who we are and our behaviors. And whether we perform or not, God reminds us in Sabbath that we, he is enough and we are enough. Here's a quote from Jen Wilkin, who's one of the theologians that we have as our resources here for this, for this teaching series, she says in her book, Ten Words, more than the deliberate cessation of work for the purpose of decompressing, Sabbath is the deliberate cessation of any activity that might reinforce my belief in my own self-sufficiency. In contrast to cultural ideas of rest marked by self-care, Sabbath rest is marked by self-denial. It requires that we deny ourselves the material gain or the sense of accomplishment that a day of labor brings. 
Sabbath reminds us that God is on the throne, we are not, and that he is in control. So what's the first thing we've got to do in Sabbath? Stop. The second thing is rest. Rachel, if you go to the next slide. Um, every time you see one of these rest areas, think back. What does it mean to rest? Um, the Sabbath is holy to the Lord. For the Israelites, they knew they were God's people. They had God's name put on them, as Pastor Scott talked about last week. There was a temple, which was the holy place, but there was also a holy time that was decided and defined to worship God. It was the Sabbath. The Sabbath reminds us that we have limits, that we're human beings, that we have limits. We have God-designed limits. Said another way, God designed humanity with limits. Have you ever thought about that? That God designed us with limits, that we are not limitless uh, creatures. We like to think that we are. Technology and science reinforce the belief that we're unbounded, but we're not. Take time to stop and rest, reminding ourselves that we are finite and that we have limits. The commandment goes on to talk about who should have rest. Verse 10 says, The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So he talks about the self. You're supposed to take some time to rest. You shall not do any work. Then he talks about others. And he mentions multiple groups. You, your son or daughter, which is your family. Male and female slaves or servants. Livestock sojourners or resident aliens or foreigners. Everyone was supposed to rest, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, slaves and free, natives and foreigners, humans and animals, your cows, your goats, your donkeys, your chickens, whatever you had, everything was supposed to rest. You were supposed to cease your labor so that others may cease their labor and provide rest. It's a myth to believe that the Sabbath rest is just an individual choice. No, there are things and people who depend on whether we Sabbath or not, especially if you're in a position of leadership. This is especially true for you. Um, I think back, I, I spent a couple of decades at Microsoft, and there was a season when we were releasing Office 2000. How many of you use Office? Office 365? How many of you are Google Docs folks? It's all good. <laughs> um, when we were releasing Office 2000, um, Jeff Rakes, who was the executive vice president at the time of, of Microsoft, he sent out an edict to all of us who were managers and in various levels of authority, and he told us, do not send emails on weekends. And because it was, it was some psychological studies that they had done, as we were, as an organization, thinking about this pandemic that we were realizing that most of our people were working all weekends, and there was no work-life balance, and there was a, a number of people that had issues with that, obviously. Um, and so he sent out an edict, said no more emails on weekends. And if you're a manager, don't send out emails on weekends. Um, and at that time, Office 2000 had released, and there was a little feature that you could say, you could send your email on Friday night, but not have it delivered until Monday morning. Um, and so all of us learned how to use that, so we could you know, send our emails, but not impact the people that are going to be the recipients of those emails. Um, not a great example of Sabbath, perhaps, but it was a reminder for me that you know, as leaders, we have... If, if you're in any position of leadership or supervisory authority, your actions or lack of action have incredible impact on those that you're leading. In most societies at that time, the rich 
could get off of time and rest. Leisure is a monopoly of the rich, one commentator says, but the poor, the servants and the slaves, don't get that same privilege. They have to work multiple jobs many times to make a living. Do you see how countercultural this rest mandate is in that era? It treats slaves as persons, not machines. It treats foreigners as citizens. To God, this was an area of justice, and the Sabbath day was holy, meaning that it was meant to provide equal rest to everyone. Every individual, every animal that you owned was supposed to rest. One author states that the Sabbath is the greatest social revolution in the history of mankind. This quote is from um, Jen Wilkin again. And I realize that it's hard to see from here. <laughs> um, I'm going to stand over here so I can actually read it, because for some reason I can't see it. Um, personal sin always results in collateral damage. If the person in charge labors without rest, he denies the rest to those in his charge. That's what I mentioned earlier, right? If you're in a position of, of, of authority and you don't rest, you deny the rest for other people that are within your charge. Everyone loses. Personal obedience always results in collateral benefit. If the person in charge stops working and invites those in charge to do so as well, everyone wins. The Sabbath observance is not just a matter of personal leisure or self-care, but of justice. It's important that we as believers, those of you who are in any kind of responsibility area, think about your actions and your inactions and how they have impacts on people, especially when it comes to this discipline, this area of rest, and what does it mean to rest. In all the commentaries that I read, these two areas, stopping and resting, were the areas that they spent, the, 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 the writers of the commentary spent most of their time uh, articulating and dis dissecting, because it's so countercultural, right? It's so countercultural. When we have a day off, our first inclination, at least, my first inclination many times used to be, how many more things can I get done? Right? What projects are left on my to-do list? Some of you have honey to-do lists, and others have you know, husband-do lists, whatever it might be. Right? We've got lots of lists of things to do. Um, it takes intentional energy and effort to stop and to rest. So what are the first two practices? Stop and rest. These next two are easier. Um, the third one is delight. It was the best emoji I could find here. Um, Delight. I mentioned this earlier, but God delighted in his creation. After he spent six days creating, he spent the seventh day resting and enjoying his creation. And we would be wise to do likewise. And maybe this means, you know, if you're going out for a walk, pay attention with all of your, your, all of your senses. Uh, there's an old saying, you know, you need to, don't just walk by, you got to smell the roses on the way that you're walking, right? Um, pay attention with all your senses. Um, many of you, all of us, will have some area of delight based on our own personal proclivities. For some, gardening is a delight. For others, it's a chore. Um, for, for, for some other people, you know, cooking is a chore. For others, it's a delight. Um, I was talking to, to Beth Uhouse last week, and she said, you know, and I, I'll give her credit for, for where credit is due. Right? She said, um, for those of us who work in, with our heads, doing things with your hands sometimes is the way that you express and you get joy. And for those of us who are always constantly doing things with our hands, sometimes sitting down and reading a book is the most restful thing. 
and most delightful thing. So God doesn't dictate that. It's based on our own personal proclivities. But there is this mandate that on the Sabbath, we're to stop, we're to rest, and we're going to spend some time delighting. Establish and strengthen relationships. Relax, play, board games, other games, whatever it is, right? Spend some time. This is probably the easy part. You, I'm sure all of you can come up with a list of things that you want to do if you were given three to four hours, five to six hours, 24 hours. How would you structure 24 hours if, you, if your mandate was to just stop, rest, delight, and then we're going to talk about worship in a second. I'm sure you can fill that list up. The hardest part is that first two steps. How do I stop? How do I rest? Um, Rabbi a Abraham Herschel, um, by the way, he, he was referenced in like five of the different books that we had as part of this teaching series. He was referenced over and over again. He seems to be a theologian, uh, um, a Jewish theologian. He says, the Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It is not an interlude, but the climax of living. Labor is a craft, but perfect rest is an art. It is a result of an accord of body, mind, and imagination. Labor is a craft, but perfect rest is an art. It takes time to not do something. For me, right? For some of you who've got that same disease, you know, you can't sit still. And so for me to not sit still is difficult, painful at times, but it's commanded. Um, the last one item that I've got is, um, if you go to the next slide, Rachel, um, Sabbath is holy to the Lord. So it's not just about resting. It's not just about playing. It's not just about delighting in what brings you joy. It's also about acknowledging who God is. Um, I got COVID during, I wasn't going to put this in, uh, but I've got a couple of minutes. Um, I got COVID in the early part of the year, and I, I was stuck in my room for three days. And I, I'm a little bit of a science geek. I had read a, a document or a, a report on quantum computing, and so I spent some time looking at how do quantum computers work? And what is this thing called quantums and, and stuff? Um, it was delightful for me. For you, probably not. But there was one realization. I was watching this thing on string theory, and I never heard of string theory in my life. You know, I had heard about Newtonian physics, right? You learn about gravity, you learn about some things related to um, what we talk about now with regards to quantum things. String theory is a, ma a unified mathematical theory that, you know, if you're a math major, you probably know about it. It tries to unify all of this stuff into one mathematical process. Um, I was intrigued because your string theory is supposed to define what happens at the subatomic level. Did you know that there are things called quarks and bosons and all these things that I never knew about? All the way to the multiverse, right? The, 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 the Hubble telescope is still out there, but the James Webb telescope just sent in pictures from the outskirts of the universe. Um, thousands and millions of light years away. That's the God that we've got, who understands the things that we don't even, like quarks and bosons and these weird names of particles and subatomic particles, all the way out to universes upon universes upon universes upon universes. That the James Webb telescope, they said one pixel of the old Hubble telescope, if they just peered into that one pixel into the sky, um, they have found thousands and thousands and thousands of galaxies because of the technology of this new telescope. Do you realize that that's the God that we serve? That's the God who created us? He knows every single, in, in Psalm 139, it says, 
I knit you together in my mother's womb. He knows you so intimately, and yet he's got galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies out there. So remember who God is. That's one of the areas of contemplation and worship as we think about taking time off, stopping and resting, is also to think about who is God. Who are you? you know, imago Dei is a Latin phrase that says that uh, you are created in the image of God. Who are you? You're, you're created in the image of God. Remember whose you are. And some of you need to perhaps need to hear this. Romans says you've, been, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. You're children of God. If children, then heirs. You're heirs of God. 1 Corinthians 6 says you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You were bought with a price. Do you know that you were bought with a price if you believe Jesus? God's Spirit's alive in you. He paid for you. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we're ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal to the rest of the world through us. John 8.36 says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You, you're, you're free. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. You're the light of the world, Matthew chapter 5 says. Remember whose you are. Spend time cooking great food, playing outside, whatever it is, going on great walks, especially during this season when trees change color. Remember whose you are as you're in the midst of your time of rest. Listen to great music. Take extra time to walk. You go to the next slide. Here's some practical things to get started. Start small. 24 hours may be too much, right? As you look at your own calendar, 24 hours may be too much. Maybe a small family dinner is practical. I was reading an article in The Atlantic that came out um, in 2019, a study that came out that said, uh, how America lost dinner. You can look it up. Um, those of us who grew up in different generations, the family dinner was where you connected. It's where our family connected because we could never connect during the morning time because of work and other schedules. The family dinner is when we connected. That was our rhythm in the household every evening. Um, if you don't have that rhythm, maybe that's something you start on a Sabbath. Just take, take a time on a Saturday or a Sunday to say, we're going to have a family dinner together. Maybe three or four hours is realistic. Maybe planning a half a day to rest. Maybe do a whole day. But start small. Think about subtraction, not addition. Maybe you can think about turning things off, things that you don't need to do. All of us have to-do lists. All of, has all of us have rhythms that we've either um, intentionally or unintentionally brought into our lives. It may be good to take an inventory and say, is there anything that we can stop doing? Is there something that I can subtract from life? Maybe it means turning off your digital devices for three or four minutes, three or four hours. How about a day? We tried to do that on our last vacation. The kids had, uh, if, you know, as your kids get older, you realize that trying to get four or five days together is an act of God in and of itself. And so we had, we had seven days together as a family uh, where all four of us were in the same geography and able to take time off. We didn't turn our devices off for seven days, so I'm not um, trying to suggest that we did. But we did try and be intentional about how do we spend more time together as a family. Maybe it means don't doing email on the weekends or, or for a period of time. Maybe it means simplifying your life. Are there things in your life that are cluttering either your space or your mind that you need to subtract? Um, don't get discouraged. This is a little J curve. came out of um, 
a lot of work on productivity, it says that you know things get harder when you're trying to establish a new habit before productivity takes off. It's called the J curve. It came out in trade um, things as well, in trade deficits. Um, you know things get harder at the beginning, and if you can get through the chasm, then productivity gets better. So don't get discouraged. Habit formation takes time. Um, and lastly, establishing a rhythm takes repetition. It's going to take work and energy and intentionality. And those of you who are husbands and wives who've got children in your, you know, sort of your tribe that you're, um, you're growing and you're discipling, um, it's going to take intentional time for the two of you to connect, for the two of you to find time and to say, we're going to carve off X amount of time to rest as a family. So establish the rhythm. There's no formation without repetition. So as I close, go to the next slide, Rachel, please. Thank you. This is my uh, sermon in a slide. You know, the left side, yeah, the left side on your screen. This is the world that we live in. God calls us to Sabbath because he Sabbath. Because he rested, he calls us to rest. To stop, to rest, to delight, to contemplate. So what I want to do is I want to give you five minutes to not say anything, to think, to contemplate some of these questions. Are there rhythms? What are the rhythms that I have in my life? Um, what can I stop doing to create some margin? Who is most impacted by my refusal to stop and rest? When I don't rest, who gets impacted by that? Do my kids get impacted? Do my coworkers get impacted? Do my employees get impacted? What are the activities or places that fill me with joy? And here's where I'd like you to land. What's one step I can take to bring Sabbath rhythm into my own life? One step, right? Stop, rest, delight, worship, and contemplate. What's one step that I can take to bring rest into my life? I'm going to give you five minutes to think about that, to enjoy a moment of silence or enjoy a moment of, of thinking and reflecting with yourself what God may have put on your heart. Steve will play some background melodies.
in eternity. Um, but I hope that you had a chance to just settle your thoughts, settle your mind, and think about what is God, what is God asking you to do? What's one step you can take to bring a rhythm of quiet, a rhythm of stopping, acknowledging who God is, and acknowledging who you are into a rhythm. I want to close with this um, from Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Rachel, the next slide. Thank you. This is from uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 from The Message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. And it's by Eugene Peterson. And he says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. We talked about Sabbath, some practices. The one who gives eternal rest to our souls is not a practice, not an activity that we do. It's a person. So some of you uh, may have come here to visit. If you don't know who Jesus is, it's pretty simple. You know, uh, Jesus is not a, it's not a download. You don't download um, following Jesus. It's not an upgrade to your iOS 16 or your Android whatever version. It's, it's a complete heart transplant. God asks for us to give him ourselves and he gives us rest for our souls. Jesus proclaimed that he was Lord of the Sabbath. He obeyed the letter and intent of the Sabbath commandments. As he exhaled his last breath on the cross, he defeated death. He ushered in a new kingdom that provides true rest, rest for our souls. If any of you are, are here and want to know about who Jesus is, come talk to one of us. It's pretty simple. Two or three simple steps. Acknowledge that I call it the three A's, right? Awareness. Am I aware that God is there? Do I acknowledge that I have a responsibility before God? That I can't fix myself no matter how many Sabbath practices I do? And I will, am I willing to take an action? Am I willing to say, Jesus, I accept you to come into my life and change me and transform me? And he will. It'll be more than a download. It'll be more than an upgrade. It'll be a heart transplant. Let me pray for us as we close. God, thank you that you have modeled from the beginning of creation what it means to rest, what it means to relax, what it means to enjoy your creation. And in the midst of the hurried uh, lifestyles that we have, um, some created by our own activities, some created and imposed upon us by the society that we live in, God, would you give us a perspective of what matters most? Would you give us opportunities as individuals as families, as larger families, as a community here at Jacobswell, would you give us perspective of who you are, what you're doing, and the fact that you love us immensely, whether we produce something or not, and remind us of that, Lord. And so I pray for all of the things that people have been considering. Uh, I pray that you would give them the energy that they need, Lord, the memory that they need uh, to quiet their hearts, before you. Thank you that you model that for us and that you enable us to live that life out. Pray that you would make us a countercultural people 
who can live non-anxiously because of what you've done for us and you've given us rest for our souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our time of gathering here at Jacob's Well is always closed with